I'm ready. Let's go. Hell, I <laughs> suck at dating with Dean Ungler, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hello and welcome back to Help, I Suck at Dating. I'm Dean Unglert. I'm a little under the weather today, so pardon my raspy, nasally voice. Um, I've got a great episode for you guys today. We've covered a lot of things about relationships. Um, we've had therapists in here. We've had psychics in here. We've had a, a lot. But one thing we haven't really covered is the intimate physical component of it. So today in studio... I have Kim Anami, who is a holistic sex and relationship expert, who we're going to have a, a few questions for, of course. Um, we're going to take some listener emails, some listener questions, and we are going to kind of catch up with me, I guess, and see where I'm at in my life nine episodes into this dating podcast. <laughs> but first and foremost, Kim, how are you? Awesome. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for being here. Also, we have Tanya, of course, Mark and Easton in the studio. Thank you. Um, okay, Kim. So as we've kind of alluded to already um, before taping and all that kind of stuff, sex kind of makes me uncomfortable. Just talking about it makes me a little uncomfortable. Talking about it makes you uncomfortable. What about doing it? Well, I mean, we're all, we're all human beings at the end of the day. I mean, it's not, I don't think I'm uncomfortable doing it, but it's just, it's just a little, uh, it's a little, it's a sensitive topic for me. Not necessarily for any other reason than it's just, I don't know, makes me uncomfortable to talk about. So do you mean in a room full of people that you only know a little bit or with your actual sexual partner? Um, I would say both. I would say I could be dating someone for a while and I would still have uh, uh, hesitancies talking about it. Right. Because I would say that's a very important piece of sexual intimacy Mm -hmm. is, yes, being able to be open and free physically, but to be verbal not only in bed, but outside of bed. Mm -hmm. So in bed, to be able to communicate to your partner what you want, what feels good, to dirty talk with them, to really open up your whole being. And then outside of the bedroom to talk about like in a more neutral environment, say like there's things that you want that aren't happening and vice versa, that when you're out of that charged environment of the bed, then you can have a deeper conversation about how you can both reach higher levels of intimacy and ecstasy. Okay. Well, so obviously compatibility is a huge part of that. And I I think that you become more compatible as you begin to discuss those types of things, right? Yes. And I think that it depends how open you really let yourself be in bed. Like people say, if you're having a lot of casual sex, you're probably compartmentalizing. Like you're trying to keep your emotions separate from the sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. The more fully open and vulnerable you are, so you're emotionally present, you're spiritually present, you're physically present, then you're going to have a lot more powerful, deeper sex with that person. And I guess, yeah, the more comfortable you you are around that person the more you're able to, I guess, express yourself physically. Yes, definitely. Okay. Kim, how do you go about attracting the right partner for, I guess, your style of relationship? Well, it depends, first of all, what you want. Like, if you want to have a real deep, intimate, soulmate-type relationship that you're really clear on that from the outset, or if you're feeling a bit guarded and like you don't really want to go deep into something, the clearer that you are about what you want, the more likely you are to attract that into your space. And there's so much out there when people in the whole dating arena of like the game playing, you know, like, oh, we have to wait three days before we call this person after a date and I can't seem too eager. And I just think that that's only going to engender more game playing. And even me personally, when I was in my 20s, I used to date guys who were in their 40s because they didn't play games anymore. It was just like, I like you, you like me, let's get on with it. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't this, oh, I better wait because she'll think I like her too much if I call her right away after we went out. They would just call and be, I had an amazing time, you're so incredible, let's do this again. And so, you know, if you want authentic people, you have to be authentic. 
So the more really honest and vulnerable, radically honest that you are, you'll attract that into a partner. Gotcha. Well, so here's my thing. So I don't really, I don't, as a human being, I don't need sex. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like have to have it in a relationship. If I'm not in a relationship, whatever it is, like I can, I can survive perfectly fine without it. I do kind of crave that physical intimacy of um, like spooning or holding hands or just kind of like holding each other, that type of stuff. So if sex isn't an, an incredibly important part of a relationship to me, is that something I should work on? Do you think like I've, I've dated girls for, you know, extended periods of time, uh, months to, to over a year where sex was something that it wasn't a very, it, not that it wasn't very frequent, but it wasn't like the staple of our relationship, you know? And that's fine with me. Like I, I don't need that. It's, I think it's just like an added benefit to a healthy relationship. Well, it's great that you've expanded and you connect with your partners on all these other levels. My view is that the sex is the glue. Sex is really the heart of an intimate partnership. And sexual energy is life force energy. This is the energy that creates new life. And so when you're really tapped into that energy, even if you're single, you can have much more creativity, much more rejuvenation in your life. Like the whole concept is that if you're not creating babies with this energy, you can create other things in your reality with this energy force. So to me, that's the deepest place that we connect in that intimate partnership. Like it's the one thing that separates that kind of relationship from every other relationship in your life is the fact that you're probably having sex with that person. And so in my view, when you really deeply open yourself up and you become vulnerable sexually and emotionally, there's nothing like it. You create this kind of super powered energy, like these couples who can be together for 20, 30, 40 years and still have cataclysmic, incredible sex, still be totally passionate for each other, that's possible for everyone. But it's kind of a myth in our culture that it's not. Mm -hmm. And so people settle into relationships where the sex just dies, and they get used to that not being a big part of it. My view is that people are really scared of going that deep. And so they pretend that it's okay that they don't have sex, and it's okay that they haven't had sex with their partner. I have clients who maybe haven't had sex in eight years, Oof. and they act like that's normal. They think like, oh, well, just by the way, like we, we have fights about this and then we haven't had sex in eight years and then we didn't want to buy this car together. You know, I'm like, no, no, wait a second. Like, this is a massive thing. And I think it's overall, our culture is so repressed about sexuality that people internalize that oppression. Okay. And so they're not in touch with their sexual energy and they start to kind of downplay it as an important thing where I think it's a hugely important thing. Right. So sex is kind of like the foundation for a successful relationship. So on that, on that note then for, for maybe a listener of this podcast that's dating casually, how long do you think is the appropriate amount of time to wait before you're able to kind of explore that avenue of a relationship? That's an excellent question. And I'd say there's a lot of pressure on people to be sexual very quickly mm -hmm. these days. And so the best answer that I can give you is to really listen to yourself. And so whether that's, you know, a first date or a 10th date or three months or six months, you need to be clear. When people dive into sexual relationships, and not to say that I haven't done it and been there and, you know, done that, it's not a judgment thing. It's more like, how do people take care of themselves? If you dive in sexually before you're really emotionally connected, you leave yourself exposed. And that's why I think if people might sort of ditch the, the hookup very quickly is because they both feel overexposed and they want to shut down. Okay. So there's no real, there's no realistic timeline. It's just kind of varies case by case. 
I would say it varies case by case, but the longer that you wait, the more emotionally connected that you get. So, you know, you said, I, I, I wouldn't say that sex is the foundation of a successful relationship. I would say that trust is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then upon trust, you can build everything else. And so when you really trust each other, you're going to have much more deep, connected, powerful sex. If you're not trusting the other person, you have barriers there. And so neither people, you know, people aren't connecting on a really deep level and it will not be very satisfying sex. Mm -hmm. Well, and for me too, to, to kind of not necessarily get off topic, I, I've only just recently, as a 26-year-old man, begin to open up about like what I want in a sexual relationship. Like yeah. I've, I've been able to s more recently speak more openly about what I like, what I dislike, what I, what I want, all that kind of stuff, because I think I've, I've never maybe had the emotional connection that, I, that I've needed in order to open up about that, right? So I guess to, to that point, then how do you continue to build the, the connection to make sure, uh, beyond the communication, is there anything else, I guess? Well, I'd say the communication is key. Like, and we've said trust is essential. And you said that as you've begun to open up, then that's where you create that depth and intimacy with. And I believe that you can continually grow interest in a person where you have lifelong interest, intrigue, mystery, passion, sexual attraction, that that can be the norm. That's not a myth in our culture that after two years or a certain amount of time, people naturally lose interest. I don't believe that to be true. I think that people just don't know how to build a powerful relationship. And so no one's taught. I mean, look, in school, you're taught that sex will kill you and sex will get you pregnant. So there, go off and have sex and figure out your relationships, right? right? And so people have this giant you know, hole or void inside of them having no idea. They have this intimate innate desire and natural desire to be sexual and to be intimate to really get close to another person that is a natural fundamental human desire that we all have and then we have all these you know contradictory messages in the culture like sex is everywhere it's in pops songs media advertising and you're not really allowed to have it either or you know enjoy it so there's still this huge taboo about it so most people are walking around with a lot of blocks inside of them no one's really taught how to do relationships and so that's a huge part of my work is explaining to people and educating them about what's possible in an intimate relationship. Like I just said, you can be together for 40 years and still want to rip each other's clothes off. That is possible for everyone. Every woman can find deep levels of release and pleasure. Every man can explore his full potential in the bedroom and, and ad infinitum. But when no one's really taught how to do that, and a huge piece of that is around communication and opening yourself to another person and sharing who you really are, being authentically you without holding back, without putting up guards and barriers and hiding in any way. And that's really hard. That's one of the hardest things that we can do as human beings is to totally open ourselves, to be vulnerable, and then to be loved. You know, because as soon as we're vulnerable, we're at the risk of being hurt. And so most people walk around with masks on, they're guarded, they have defense mechanisms, their whole terrain is loaded with landmines that someone can trip over and snap and, you know, everything can implode. And so it takes a skill set to develop a really positive, powerful, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Most people don't just do it intuitively. Mm. So so most of your client, clients that you see, are they typically older couples that have been together for a long time or do you typically see it skew a little bit younger i don't know what's, what's the kind of typical my client base ranges like the median is probably 30 something to 40 something but i have mm. everything from 20 somethings to 70 somethings 
who want to get better at their intimate lives. And it's not just people who are suffering and really struggling. It's people who are like, it's already amazing. How do we keep it amazing? Mm -hmm. You know, they've already prioritized their intimate lives as this very important piece of their existence. And they want to know, hey, you're an expert. What do you know that we don't know that we can keep learning about and educating ourselves about? The way that people look at their careers, you know, you go to school, for a lot of people go to school, they work, then they continue to educate themselves. They study, they apprentice, they take seminars and workshops, they do further education. But in relationships, people don't do that. They get their relationship, they think they've got it once they've got some kind of a commitment, and then they just put their focus elsewhere. And so they stop prioritizing their relationship. And as soon as they start to do that, the relationship withers away. Hmm. Well, and, and back to the, the age, I still have a question for you. Um, when I was growing, or not when I was growing up, but like a few years ago, my brother was dating like a, an older woman, right? Like late thirties. Um, and he was like mid twenties, whatever it was. Is there, is there an actual time when a woman and a man reaches their sexual peak? Cause isn't a, a woman's sexual peak typically in her late thirties while a man's is like maybe late teens, early twenties. I don't know if that's, if I believe that physiologically, I think that women maybe become more confident and comfortable with their sexuality as they get older. Women are given less permission in our culture to be sexual than men. For men, it's like you're allowed to go out there, you're allowed to sleep with anybody you want to, but if a woman does that, she gets judged. Mm -hmm. She immediately gets judged and labeled, and that's that she internalizes that, so she starts to hold back in her sexual expression. So I think once women get into their 30s and 40s, they're like, screw this, Like I'm gonna just be this part of myself and express it however I want to. And they've, le you know, gotten a certain level of maturity and experience to do that. I don't know that it's a physiological peak. Gotcha. That I agree with you. Mm. Um, in your opinion, then, as as we're kind of obviously talking about this, it makes me very uncomfortable still. Um, say, say you meet someone new, incredibly interesting, whatever you connect emotionally. Do you think that there is a a, a a number of sexual partners that that person has would have had to like be cause for concern or like a red flag or something like that? necessarily like I think that people in their teens and their 20s it's pretty natural to go out and explore and that people aren't necessarily as in touch with their emotions at that age and as they grow older into their later 20s and 30s they start to crave more of an intimate emotional connection but in that early stage I think a lot of people explore so I wouldn't say it's a cause of concern so long as that person is operating from a place of high self-esteem. That if they were doing these things and they were doing it to please other people or doing it to be to be liked or whatever is different than someone who just had a healthy, very conscious curiosity about sexuality. Hmm. So, okay. So it just, it just boils down to self-awareness then? Yeah. Okay. I have a um, sex question. Go for it. In your opinion, and I know you're not a man, but I feel like you, so you're a sex expert. What's the best way to give a good? Can you say on the air? Oh, is that not what we're doing here? <laughs> well, I mean, while we're on the topic, we yeah. might as well just hear her out. <laughs> I, it's on everybody's mind. Everybody's thinking it. Hello. The best way to excel at fellatio is to totally be in love with your partners. And so if you okay. are fully, madly, truly in love with their they are going to feel that. If you're doing it out of duty, if you just like it, you know, and you think they're going to like it, it won't be as good. If you madly just attack that thing with your, your mouth, your heart, every single part of you, your partner will go weak in the knees and you'll be the best lover they ever had. Hmm. 
That's actually a really good answer. I assume the same thing is true going the other way. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Dean always thinking about the girls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't really uh, been maybe the most giving in that sense of the word in my sexual career. Right. You know? I think I think that specifically for me is a big trust thing as well. Totally. Because um you you want to go you want to be doing that with someone that you're very comfortable with and that you you maybe understand a little bit more deeply than the the casual dater, you know? Yeah. That's kind of my I guess take on it. It's a very intimate experience and I think that you're right is that it's a symbol of when you're really open to somebody and you're comfortable and you want to go deeper with them and that's what it's all about. So then you're not going to be faking it if you truly have those feelings, those genuine feelings about who they are and that part of them that is the essence of who they are. Yeah. Um, okay, Kim. So as a millennial, as Tanya and I both are, how do you think that affects the sexual component of a relationship? Because it seems that the, that hookup culture is a lot more prominent now, maybe than it was, I don't know, just as recent as a, as a decade before Mark's generation. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though. It's just a little bit different. So there's because there's a difference between having sex and m making love with someone. So I don't know. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it is kind of part of the deal when people are in their twenties. Not for everybody, but it's certainly a time when people do that more. But like my whole philosophy is to use your intimate relationship as a power source, and to really do that, you have to be connected emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and sexually, physically. You have to be interested and attracted and intrigued on all of those levels. And if you're not, you can do these things, but they're not going to be as deep or as pleasurable. And so the real potential of power and energy and as a source of rejuvenation that a sexual relationship can be, you're not going to really tap into that if it's superficial, if they're just casual hookups. And I have no judgment about this. Like I, people are free to make their own choices. Mm -hmm. It's just more about what you're wanting in your life and what in, in your relationship. That makes sense. So, so then to that note, being the, the professional that you are and spending the amount of time researching and, 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 and understanding this on a level that maybe we don't, what would you say that you know about sex that the casual participator or listener doesn't necessarily know? I don't know how to, how to, how to phrase that properly. Well, but. You know, I think that we grow up and take on these ideas of people say, you know, your parents probably said, wait till you find someone that you love. And as kids, people just kind of go, ah, oh, whatever, you know. But the reality is, is that the sex is better that way once people have enough not so connected sex they usually discover then when they have more connected sex that it's mm -hmm. more pleasurable more enjoyable they're more likely to have climaxes through that experience more easily they express themselves better they don't feel embarrassed about maybe their bodies like all of these things melt away when you're with someone you really love and trust mm -hmm. and again i have no judgment about it this isn't a moral condemnation about people's choices mm -hmm. it's just more about what you really want so i think what people don't understand is that your sexual relationship can be a power source in your life and so you know that whole that old adage like behind every good man is a woman well behind every good woman is a man on his knees giving her everything he's got so when you really give your power and energy to each other you rejuvenate your lives together and most people just think of their marriage as maybe like an, a social agreement or an economic agreement like we've come out of this these decades of obligatory marriages, like marriages that were kind of like duties and people had their roles. One was taking care of the kids, one was taking care of making money. 
And so now we're, I think, evolving into this place where we really want a soulmate type relationship where you yeah. meet your match, where you really meet that person who's a compliment for you and brings out your very best self. Yeah. So I recently uh, uh, recognized that I was making a big mistake. I was like in this perpetual pattern of pain because I was sleeping with people that I wasn't connected to. I wasn't in a relationship with. And I recently made the decision to wait for marriage. And it's something that I've been like doing a lot of research on. And I've kind of realized that there's like also you don't have to have sex to have a sexual relationship. Does that make sense? And so they're like. um, And what do you mean by that exactly? Like. There's ways to be intimate with somebody without having sex. Without having penetrative sex? Yes. You can do other things is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So to you, the the line would be penetrative sex, but up to that, everything else is okay. Yes. Okay. What if, Kim, what are your thoughts on the introduction of uh, third-party accessories into the bedroom? Oh. Well, but did we finish? Did we answer her question? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Okay. We can we can go there. Dean wants to talk about I, toys. I thought that was kind of on topic. I thought it was. It is, but yeah. I want to hear the okay. rest of her. So you're just you've decided to wait for marriage for that act, that kind of crowning act. Yes. And so how did how has that been going for you? How do you feel about that? Um, it's I think the best decision I've ever made. I've like feel so I've felt so at peace about it. Wow. It's really weird. It's been very, it's recent. And so I know it's going to be a struggle. And it's like just, it's very different from the culture that I've been in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's definitely like a mind shift. And I'm going to need to like, obviously need a lot of support. But um, I think that learning like, like what you're, I mean, I think I was just putting myself in these, these situations where I was constantly getting hurt. And I don't want to do that anymore. That's a really brave thing, what you've said. That's a very self-aware thing and a very brave thing to do because you're totally going against the grain of, I would imagine, most of your peers. Right. And and then really honoring yourself. And that's a beautiful thing. And so you probably now will create a higher caliber, caliber relationship because you're coming from a place of self-listening, self-honoring, and self-respect. And the fact that you're going to find a man that's much more patient, I feel like, is pretty important, too. Yeah. Because I think to Kim, Kim made the point earlier in the day that um, a lot of guys, and I mean some women, of course, want to, to kind of dive into the physical aspect of the relationship. Um, but if you're able to find a guy that's able to be patient with you, I feel like that would definitely strengthen the relationship. Yeah. And it, it definitely helps kind of like thin out and, and weed out the the boys that, or the guys that you don't want to be dating and the guy that's you know willing to work with you and, and actually like commit to that relationship. Right. I didn't know that though. That's, that's really amazing. Yeah, Thanks. Beautiful. Thanks. Uh, um, all right. What about the question that I had earlier? <laughs> <laughs> so you're asking about is it a good idea to introduce third party accessories into the bedroom? That was the question, yeah. Absolutely. I think that every couple ought to have their own boudoir box, like a selection of things that enhance the experience and amplify things. And I've even just come out with a product line of different toys that can be used in the bedroom for different pleasure centers. And so, absolutely, I think they are great things. I wouldn't say that, you know, to get fully reliant on them. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the absolute best connection really is between two human beings and two sets of human flesh. But these accessories absolutely have their time and place. Because speaking from my personal experience, I've been very anti-accessory. I, I don't think I've ever used anything. So, I guess, I mean, I guess I just got to branch out a little bit more and communicate more and, and give it a shot. Well, like I said, I think that the ultimate is two people. 
and the accessories that can use like say to explore different climaxes or different pleasure zones in each partner then certain tools can be really good for that so they can be things that are tendential to your sexual relationship rather than the core of it you and your partner are the core but these other things are just like things that you can experiment and play with along the way. Are there any specifics you can talk about on this family-friendly podcast? It, my work is all about educating, as I said, what's possible for people. And so a big thing of what I talk about for women is that there are deeper internal that they can have and so I've designed a set of toys that are designed to with their precise shape and curvature access those points that would be very difficult for a male to do with his genital anatomy you could get there with your hands but when you have a like minor made out of glass then they're designed and shaped for the exact curvature to access those points so these are different release and pleasure centers in the woman that you can get to when you have the aid of these little Accoutrement. Oh. Hey, uh, Mark or Easton, do you guys care about uh, weighing in on this conversation at all? Uh, it's a little weird at this point. What? What's weird about it? The female pleasure centers? Yeah. What? It feels, I think once you get married, it's weird to talk about these things. Oh, when you're single, you can talk about these things. Because there's be... like a veil of mystery of who you're talking about. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right, right. And I think it'd be disrespectful to my wife to talk about anything that we've used or not used or right. enjoyed Fair or not enough. enjoyed. Let's I just agree. speak purely in hypotheticals then. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, heard you a can whole... just, do you support the idea of them? Like, do you think it's a good idea? Or... Yeah, no, I, I just heard a whole list of ways I'm probably not satisfying my wife now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was one type of orgasm and it's the one I wasn't making happen. <laughs> <laughs> just just being real oh uh, for sure and that's really common that's, that's really common most people have that misconception and that's because it's prevalent out there in the culture and that's why i'm so passionate about my work is to show people what's actually possible for them much more that's just the tip of the iceberg literally the type that you're talking about no, I'm, I'm often associated with just the tip so. <laughs> okay, i'm sorry <laughs> For real, though, it's a real important thing that I think a lot of people don't have enough knowledge about and could be making their world a much more colorful and exciting place. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. Like, I feel like these deeper... Can I say orgasm at this point? I mean, I don't know. Please. These deeper <laughs> vaginal <laughs> orgasms, for, these deeper internal orgasms for women are like self-actualizing. They access these deeper, incredible emotional, spiritual releases and openings. And so the woman helps, it becomes, she becomes more of who she really is. And so, again, this is my whole thrust with this topic is that there's so much depth and intimacy and exploration that the couple has available to them when they get into a situation that they're open and trusting and comfortable with. Easton? I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I just got married like a month ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I'm just on. I'm on the lookout to keep things keep things interesting. You know, we're a month yeah. in, and it's, I just don't yeah. want things to go stale. And here we are you know? sitting next to a 20 year veteran who's Thank not you. willing to share his trade secrets. <laughs> There's no trade secrets. <laughs> it just feels wrong. <laughs> That's all. But things are good. Things are good. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> all parties are satisfied. Um. Okay, Kim. Well, so you have a website, yes. correct? It's it's kimanami.com. Am I saying yes. the last name right? That's right. You did it. Okay. Well. And then Instagram page is at kimanami. Yes. Okay. Um, is there anything else you're working on that you want to share? 
Well, I just opened a shop with a bunch of accessories that are to be used in the bedroom or can be taken as healing remedies for people. And so there are these crystal elixirs that I've created as well as these glass objects and then a variety of other things that all aid in one's intimate life. And that's anamialchemia.com. Gotcha. And I would regret the opportunity not to ask you about your weightlifting career. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind speaking Absolutely. to that a little bit? Well, yeah, I'd love to speak about it. Okay. Shoot. Um, can, I just need all the information. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can start weightlifting as well? <laughs> uh, you can. It's important for men as well as women to strengthen their genital power. Like, like full-on Kegel exercises? Yeah, with weight. With weight. Yes. Yeah, the original Kegel exercise designed by Dr. Kegel involved using a device inside, internally. And so, no, it's like a gentle, it's it wasn't a painful experience. It's just like lifting weights. If you're going to go lift a weight or, you know, you're going to strengthen your bicep, you don't just wave your bicep in the air, right? You pick up a weight and you press. It's the resistance and the feedback that actually builds strength. And so most, this is like any other muscle of the body that needs strengthening and exercising. And because we're this very sexually verklempt culture, it just doesn't happen. It's fallen out of the way of what ought to be part of a natural weightlifting routine. You have your legs day, your arms day, and your genitals day. And so you put a ball up there and like squeeze it up? Pretty much. I use these little jade eggs. It's a small stone of jade carved into the shape of an egg that goes up inside, and then it's drilled with a hole. A string comes out. They're just tiny. They're very small, smaller than most things that would go inside of there. And then you can hang things from the end of the string, and you gradually increase the weight. Uh I've lifted everything from surfboards to green coconuts to chandeliers while I was in Italy because I have a whole world tour where I travel around the world lifting objects indigenous to various regions with my nether parts. Very oh, eloquently put. My. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I'm at a loss. That's, that's very, uh, very impressive. Um, I guess my question as well is, if you were to assign a percentage to the, I guess, values in a relationship, how much would you assign for the, the physical component? In the top two or three. Like I said, trust and openness is probably number one, and then sexual intimacy would be number two. Do you think that a a successful relationship is like 30% intimacy? 90%. 90%. Yeah, I mean, that's the place where you truly connect, as I said. And a lot of couples go along, and they think, oh, we're just such good buddies. We make such good partners. And it doesn't really matter that we don't have a sexual relationship. But it does, because if that part of your being doesn't have some way to express itself, it comes out in untoward ways. And we've seen that in the global culture where people who've been forced not to have sex end up having it in ways that are really damaging and violating to other people. Mm. So you can't just shut that down and pretend it doesn't exist. It does. It needs healthy outlets for it. And my work is all about the conscious direction of sexual energy and ideally within a relationship a conscious committed relationship where both people are looking at how to make that a totally blissful ecstatic rejuvenating experience like that ought to be the place where the couple comes together to revitalize themselves so you've been out in the world fighting your battles in the world and you come home and your bed is your sanctuary your relationship is your sanctuary that's your haven where you can let down your guard let down your masks totally be yourself and be loved and cherished. And there is nothing that's more healing and energizing for your life than having that kind of recognition and love from your partner. Okay. 
I love that. That's great. Um, all right, well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. It your was... love, thank you for your openness. Um, at the end of the day, that's all we can really do is just be open to the conversation, right? And Absolutely. I'm working on it. I know I get closed off and kind of. You're brave. You're courageous. <laughs> you're sharing your intimate life on this, you know, huge channel and platform. And that's a really brave thing to do. Well, I know that I can attest, and, and I'm sure the listeners can as well, that uh, we're going to be able to take a lot from this episode. I hope so. Sexually. <laughs> and and I'm I'm excited to. I don't know. See what comes from it. <laughs> I've got a lot to process. It's going to take me a while. Um, but again, ladies and gentlemen, that's Kim Anami. Go to her website, kimanami.com. Thank you. I would assume it's not safe for work, but. It's the there's nothing visually unsafe. The The topics are quite far ranging. OK, but um, nothing that visually is too. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's safe for work and where you work exactly. But there's no actual nudity. If you're a government employee, do not be going to okay. Kimanami.com. <laughs> Maybe wait till you get home. Check it out. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much again. It was a pleasure, pleasure having you in the studio. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, well, so one way to explore your sexual uh, curiosity is through the use of dating apps. Or not. Um, one great app that you could use is Bumble. You've heard me talk about it before. There are multiple things you can do on Bumble. If you are interested in maybe pursuing a sexual relationship with someone, you could always find someone cute to date, someone interesting to date. But if that's not really your thing, maybe go and find a friend on the Friend Finder uh, version of the app. Or if you are looking for more business connections, if you're looking to network yourself a little bit more, there's also Bumble for work, which is great because it, meets, uh, it allows you to meet like-minded, professional, uh, career-minded individuals just like yourself. So go to bumble.com slash Dean and download the app and find your next boyfriend, your next girlfriend, your next best friend, your next work friend right there on Bumble. The, what makes Bumble so unique to me and part of the reason that I like it and my most of my, if not all of my friends that are in the dating world are on it is because you, as a, as a girl, you need to reach out first to the guy. And so these other apps guys can kind of uh, nag and annoy the girl and it can kind of become a nuisance at some point. So what's great about Bumble is the girl has to make the first move. So sometimes maybe you're swiping a little too fast. You match with someone accidentally. The conversation doesn't open until you begin messaging that person, um, which is great. It's a little bit more safe. It allows um, maybe like a second vetting process, which I think we all need because we all get a little swipe happy sometimes. As a guy, I like that too because it shows some interest on her part. Oh, absolutely. And I, w I would say that if I were to use any other app, I very seldom open up with any line at all mm -hmm. because I like to wait for the girl to use an opening line on me mm. and Bumble kind of requires that, which is great for people like me. So if you want to meet people like me on Bumble, go to bumble.com slash Dean and download the app and start bumbling. So yeah, so to catch the listeners up on my life, it's uh, been a lot of self-discovery lately. Um, we have the holidays approaching. Holidays are always a tough time for me just because of the family dynamic. This year for Thanksgiving, I just went up to Ojai, which is in, I don't know, Central California, uh, with some of my friends, and we had a Thanksgiving up there with one of my best friend's father. Um, what else? I, I was actually, so I was at the gym the other day, and I was riding my bike home, and I'm a, I'm a late gym goer. I probably go like 11 or 12 at night. Um, and I just like started thinking to myself and I like got home and I was like, oh my gosh, I have, I have all these lots of thoughts flowing right now. Like I need to start writing them all down. And I started writing about stuff and it was just basically like stuff about my life, like experience that I've, experiences that I've had in my life. And I was like writing for like an hour or two and I was like, holy cow, I've never like written for that long before. But I was like typing out my entire life. 
But what I think that I realized is that part of the reason why I have been unsuccessful in dating and in relationships is because I have this weird, like, psychological um, kind of, I don't want to call it an issue, but I feel like at every walk of my life, I've been challenged to push through and, like, persevere. And I, I'd have noticed that the women that challenge me are the ones that mostly get the most out of me. So so when I look back and I'll, I'll kind of, like, run over these these moments that I've had through life that I think have kind of molded me to be that type of person, when I was younger, um, my family... I was born in New Jersey, but when I was one year old, my family decided to pack everything up into a like a five bed long uh, bus that we lived in for essentially three years. And while we were in that bus, we didn't have any money. So my father was like panhandling on the streets for cash. My mother was like selling temporary tattoos out of the back of the van just like so we could afford gas and put food on the table. So as a young child from the ages of like two to five, I was like ingrained with this idea of, you know, you're, you need to like essentially be challenged and, and work for the betterment of the, the group. Right. And so then fast forward, like obviously things kind of increased and, and improved a little bit from there, um, having grown up in Aspen and, and where we did. Obviously, I was very, very lucky. Um, but then when my mother passed away, I didn't really have any other option, but I was I was kind of not expected to, um, I guess, continue progressing through life. Right. So I basically took it upon myself to challenge myself to graduate high school, which I, I was very, very proud of at the time as an 18 year old. Um, you know, I didn't really have anyone monitoring me. I didn't have anyone waking me up in the morning, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I took it upon myself to challenge myself to graduate high school. From that point, you know, I, I received scholarships. I challenged myself to go to college, eventually graduated college. And then I, I from there, you know, got a job in Denver, which was very challenging, and then moved to Los Angeles, uh, uh, essentially a new challenge for me. So I guess the, the common theme that I was saying and that I've kind of noticed throughout my entire life is I am constantly, I constantly need to have the, the idea of growth in my head and that comes from challenging yourself and it, within relationships especially too so go back to bachelorette I think part of the reason that you saw the best version of myself was because Rachel was so good at challenging me and pushing me to open up more about myself and and essentially needing to get more out of me and then even like looking back at other relationships I look back at um, you know long-term relationships where you get comfortable and that's kind of where everything starts to fizzle out and so I don't know if it's necessarily maybe something I need to work on or if I need to find that right person in my life that's going to be able to challenge me constantly and consistently. Um, but just, it's just like a weird realization that I had. Like there's one underlying trend that I have in not just my relationships, but in every facet of life. Like even lately, you know, I haven't necessarily been challenging myself quite as much as I have. I feel like I've kind of sputtered out a little bit now that I'm, you know, 26 years old, already graduated college. Um, my recruiting career is on a temporary hold which doesn't necessarily provide me any professional growth I'm obviously like trying new things and trying to expand my horizons and 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 experience as much as I possibly can but I feel like I've kind of like plateaued a little bit and I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that next challenge is going to be so that's what that's kind of what I've been that the thought process I've been dealing with lately it's it's a lot of for the first time in my life I've never I don't have to work 40 hours a week to, to be able to pay rent at the end of the month or, um, you know, 50 hours a week to put food on the table or in my belly, whatever it is. So now it's like I've, I've been afforded this momentary lapse of responsibility where I can use it for self-discovery and try and figure everything out for myself. Um, but with that comes maybe a, a lack of fulfillment through that because normally I've, I've been challenged every point in my life up until, I guess, just recently.
that makes sense. You're, 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 you're fascinating, and you've had a fascinating life. It's interesting life. You really have, yeah. I, the story you told a few weeks ago when you were riding bikes as a kid, and the, and the poor kid you were with fell off his bike and was run over by a truck. Hunter, yeah. Hunter was killed. That has haunted me since the day you told me that no. story. That was three weeks ago, and I've thought of it a hundred times since then. That's an incredible, tragic story. And then this now, living in a, was it a bus? So it was like a, if you picture like a school bus, and then I think my father like gutted it, put in uh, two bunk beds on either side down the main hallway, and then like a large king bed in the back. So it was all five, I'm sorry, all six of us living in this bus for, you know, two or three years. We went from like trailer park to trailer park. I always tell people that we visited all 48 continental states. I want to say we probably visited somewhere in the 30s um, until we settled on um, living in Aspen. But you weren't homeless. Like, you didn't consider yourself homeless. Well, I was still a baby at the time, so yeah. I was still, like, learning how to walk and talk and all that kind of stuff. Did you I ever don't... see the movie Captain Fantastic? No. It's a guy who lives in a bus with his uh, kids, and, uh, and they travel around the country. You should go see that movie. Which is great. It's actually an excellent movie. I think, I think that... Um, again, as a, as a young child, I don't remember every single moment of it, but I feel like that instilled a very nomadic lifestyle. I mean, like I like to be on the move and I like to experience new things. And like, that's an interesting, uh, and those tie together, I think, with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You're saying that when you achieve a level of complacency mm -hmm. or comfort, whether it's relationships, professionally, that's when you get restless and need to move on. I lose interest in whatever it is. And again, relationships aside, it can, mm -hmm. like you said, professionally, mm -hmm. even geographically. Mm -hmm. um, like I've lived in LA for two and a half, almost three years now, and uh, it's probably the longest place. Well, I guess I lived in, in Colorado Springs for four and a half years, but um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Is that something you want to change about yourself or is that just kind of how you are and that's fine? Well, I don't know if it's something I need to change for myself or if it's something where I need to meet a girl, whoever it is, that can constantly challenge me and push me to do things that I don't want to do. I didn't want to go on television necessarily, but my friends were very encouraging. And then when I was there, obviously Rachel was very encouraging. So it was like, I felt like, you know, a caterpillar being morphed into a butterfly in a lot of ways and um that's kind of why i was like able to like be my best self in a lot of ways during that whole time span and i don't know i feel like i've kind of gotten away from that a little bit and i wonder if that's realistic to find someone who could challenge you for the rest of your life right i mean do you guys feel challenged in your relationships in like there, in, in like constructive ways that's constructive a good question there are times yes but in 20 years I, I, there's lulls but it yeah. doesn't i don't have that reaction to it that you do so i don't even really notice them it's just right. kind of living so but, i'm sure that I'm sure there have been plenty of complacent times and there are more challenging times, but it's the ups and downs of a relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm worried that you'd hit the complacent part and then that'd be kind of it for you. Right. Yeah, no, my, my default setting is complacent. So like for real, I always say that in deep inside me, there's a, um, there's a lazy Easton in sweatpants that doesn't want to get off the couch. And, uh, and Allison, um, uh, every day she's like, Hey, uh, Hey, what's your 401k looking like? And I'm like, what's that? And, uh, there's all these, all these things that like people, uh, probably naturally just do with growth in their life. And right. uh, Allison has spurred that within me. And Which I'm is great. So thankful yeah. to her. For and that. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about a level of comfortability. You know, you're married for 20 years. You obviously are comfortable around that person. Um, and I don't know, like, again, these are just kind of like premature thoughts that I've been having about maybe why things are, or I guess why things have gone the way that they have for me and how I can maybe, maybe be to, to Kim's point, be more self-aware of my experiences and what I need to, to find in someone else that I'm going to eventually spend the rest of my life with, you know? As I said, you're a fascinating person. <laughs> uh, can you tell us about movement watches, and then we'll try to sneak in some emails before we wrap today. Yeah, actually, I'm wearing a movement watch right now. I can tell you all I about it. So It's got a, a camo nylon band with a black face, one of my favorites, actually. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen movement. They're one of the coolest watch companies that actually just popped up here in Los Angeles. Um, 
Movement Watch is pronounced, or I'm sorry, it's spelt MVMT, but it's pronounced, pronounced Movement. Um, it's basically a, a watch company that was founded on the belief of creating stylish watches at an affordable cost. You, you know, you see so many people wearing these watches that seem to be breaking the bank. But what's great about Movement is um, they're cool. They, they definitely turn a lot of heads whenever I wear my watches out, which is pretty much every single night. I always get a million questions about it. So if you go to mvmt.com slash help, you can get 15% off with free shipping and free returns. I promise you won't have to exercise the free return option because every single Movement watch I've gotten, I've absolutely loved. They're clean. They're they're sophisticated. There's so much uh, the variety that you can choose from as well. Um, sometimes I want to wear a leather band, but most often I want to wear the nylon just because it's a little bit more casual. Um, but if you're looking to step up your watch game, your boyfriend's watch game, maybe that guy that you um, met on Bumble that you're trying to impress, go ahead and get him a movement watch. Go to movement.com slash help, and you can get 15% off with free shipping and free returns. That's movement.com slash help. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right, email time. Let's do emails. A couple of good ones and a couple of comments like Anna Kate here, who really uh, is over the whole Christina situation. Read that one. This is directed at the podcast in general, not just Dean. Can we please stop talking about what Dean did on Bachelor in Paradise? Everyone and their mother, including my mother-in-law, <laughs> has given their opinion on what Dean fell short and what he should have done, if he and Christina will ever be together or not. It's admirable he's doing a podcast to better himself and learn from his experiences. But can we stop beating a dead horse on the BIP experience? It's enjoyable hearing about other dating situations he's talked about other than the Bachelor in Paradise thing. I just think that Dean should get a break on the Christina Danielle thing. Rant over. Love the podcast. Uh, well, Anna Kate, thank you for listening to the podcast first and foremost. I do agree, but I think that it was kind of necessary to at least tackle the topic earlier on. I think that as the... Um, the show begins to to grow and continues to air. Obviously, that won't become so much of a focal point. But at the end of the day, that was kind of the root reason for starting this podcast. I mean, it was a very public way to suck at dating. And so here we are talking about the suckiness at dating. But Anna Kate, I can assure you that we'll, we'll venture away from it a little bit. Um, I feel like we've definitely talked about it less and less as time moves on. Yeah. It has moved on. Um, now we can just start talking about my real-life dating foibles, which is probably even more interesting. Well, Anna has some issues with you. She says, uh, Dean, you totally answer questions like a politician. Hey. You don't strike me as a political person. Are you a political person? I hate politics. Okay. Do you think you're doing this to be A, argumentative, B, politically correct, or C, to not offend anyone? Oh, I'm so bad at tests. Why um, are you not giving a straight answer? Which of those reasons do you think it is? To be A, argumentative. I think by nature I'm a contrarian, so that might be the best answer. But I also... I don't know. I want to be politically correct very often. I think it's all three. I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. I hate ruffling feathers. You don't want to offend anybody. Right. She says, I realize that sounds harsh. I definitely think you have the potential to be super interesting and draw people in, but you have to give real answers regardless of how people will feel about them. That might be the lowest blow I've ever received in my life. I feel like you have the potential to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for well, that you kind put it that statement. Way, that does seem extra mean. But she's saying you got to be honest whether you're going to hurt somebody's feelings or not. That's what she's saying. And this would have helped you on Bachelor in Paradise. Not that we're going to go back to that again, right. but that's what she's trying to say. Much to Anna Kate's dismay, exactly. we're talking about. <laughs> All right, Patrick, bro to bro. He says, Dean. I love it. Two, for, two episodes in a row where we have guys. This yeah. is great. I'm 25 years old, and I'm extremely attracted to one of my really good friend's ex-girlfriends. 
They dated six years ago for about two years until he ended things with her and is now dating somebody else for three years. Is it bad to even be thinking about her or be interested in her? And is this a complete violation of the bro code? Thanks, man. Patrick. Patrick, go for it, man. First and foremost, maybe if you're worried about it, talk to your buddy about it. But six years is a long time. I've experienced this, too. Um, my One of my girlfriends, before going on the show, had a thing with my best friend, my literal best friend, who um, I love to death. And maybe what I regretted, what I didn't do was I pursued her without telling him. And then eventually he got angry at me, not for pursuing her by any means, but he thought that I was kind of running behind his back with the whole situation. Um, and they were still close friends, all that kind of stuff, too. So I think that the one regret that I can have from that situation is just that I didn't talk to my friend about it before pursuing the girl. And I think, again, six years is a long time. The fact that he's already moved on to a new girlfriend of three years, I think you said. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely over her. Like, there should be no hard feelings. And at the end of the day, if he's really your good friend, he should want you to be happy. I think asking her out would be a violation. But, yes, telling him ahead of time, I think that's part of the bro code. Just mm-hmm. being upfront yeah. about it. Bro. I'm interested in her. No, he's not just interested. He's extremely interested. He's extremely interested and attracted to. Right. So you got to say something. And if, what, what happens if he says something to the guy and the guy says, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. Ask him why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why. I mean, again, I, we don't know the, the extent of their relationship from six years ago, but six years and they dated for two years. He's moved on. I agree. I think that I violated bro code by not approaching my friend. And again, that's my only one regret from that situation. But I think if you go to your friend as a friend and be like, hey, this is what I feel. This is what I think. Um, can I have your blessing? Then, and it, if he says no, I don't think he's really that good of a friend. True. I don't know. What do you think? But like, I don't know. How good of friends are these guys? Like if they, if he starts dating her, she's going to be hanging around the whole time. Like he's going to have to see this. But the guy has a new girlfriend. Eh, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think you should go to him first, but I also think that like, I would steer clear of that if it were me. But if he's extremely attracted to the girl, yeah, if, if he's attracted to her enough to even write an email to a podcast about <laughs> dating, that's saying something that's that true. he has that's a true. real very true. That's draw true. To person. Well, I'm just saying if he does this, kiss that friendship goodbye. I'm saying that too. If he does it without consoling his friend first, even with really, I think it's gonna be weird. What? No, Patrick, don't listen to Easton. He's off. His rocker Kiss out the of his friendship mind. goodbye. You heard it here. It might be worth <laughs> it. Maybe it's worth it. And maybe it is. And maybe he'll be the best man at Patrick's wedding. Maybe. Yeah. If he is, I'll eat my hat. Patrick, I think there's there's one conclusive answer here. Ask your friend if it's okay at first. At the end of the day, maybe she's not even interested in you. So it could be uh, moot anyways. Mm-hmm. But, uh, moot. But, nice. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, if you, I think you should approach the subject with him, to Mark's point. Don't listen to Easton. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He still has hard eyes for his one-month-old wife, and I guess we all love that, obviously. But this could be your future wife, and I think that you should definitely give it a chance. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it. All right, well, that'll just about do it for one of the most uncomfortable podcast episodes I've ever hosted. Thank you again to Kim Anami for coming in and making me feel very uncomfortable. Again, check her we- check her website out if you're not at work, kimanami.com. Um, I haven't looked at it yet, but... I can assure you. The website's okay. Her Instagram is not safe for work. Stay away from Instagram. Her website's okay. Okay. Anyways, um, if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to my podcast. Um, Leave me a review, positive or negative. I don't care. Come at me with it. If you don't like something, tell me what what you don't like. If you do like something, maybe write a lot more about what you like. Um, Please keep in touch with me at isuckatdating at iheartmedia.com. I love these listener emails. They really do 
and uh, enrich this whole experience for me. It's great to hear firsthand accounts of kind of what's going on in all your lives. But we will be back next week um, with episode 10. And I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be our first December episode. Mm-hmm. So that's been Help, I Suck at Dating. My name is Dean Unglert, and maybe next week I'll suck a little bit less. Follow Help, I Suck at Dating with Dean Unglert on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.